What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, coming at you with episode 236. Today, we're talking about work. We're talking about college, universities, how people are just messing up their life, making bad decisions, racking up college debt for useless degrees, and how we can start to get a healthy review and perspective on work from the Catholic perspective, understanding Catholic teaching on this topic. And so, uh, thanks for tuning in today. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and want to encourage you, as always, to join us on Locals at SeekingExcellence.Locals.com. You can find the link to go join us there for free in the show notes. And if you ever want to be a supporter, if you want to join the podcast and support us, you can do that right there through Locals. You can also become a supporter through Spotify, uh, which I recently turned on and made possible. So as I've said before, I'm trying to get some new equipment. I'm trying to up our game and pay people who are going to be editing my writing and the articles I'm going to be releasing, um, the people who edit my podcast, and I'm going to start hitting video content here pretty hard, and I got to buy a nice camera and get some stuff going. So that's what the support money goes to and to paying the people who help me to do that. I greatly appreciate those who are supporters. Shout out to all you guys who have joined. And remember, we have a goal of 100 members on locals by the end of September. So come join us. Even if you join for free, you help contribute to that goal of 100 people. Right now we're at 70, 72 or so. And so we're trying to hit that by the end of the month. So help us out. And if you enjoy the podcast, you listen regularly, please leave us a review. It only takes a second. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this, and you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom, to go and represent him to his people, and he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. You know, I've recently been really thinking about this topic of work. Uh, You may have noticed that it's been a theme, right? We did the fundraising and nonprofits, and we talked about capitalism and all these different aspects of it. And I recently came across uh, a New York Times article on a reel on the same day that kind of hit on something that I think is a is a big problem in our society currently, which is that we have a very, I mean, we just have a generation right now, really two generations. I think mine kind of started it, and then Gen Z is just like full-blown crackhead mode. And I think that a lot of what's missing is purpose, right? So people don't understand their purpose. They don't understand the purpose of human life. And a part of that is the things that are included in human life. We don't understand the purpose of marriage. We don't understand the purpose of religion. 
And I think included in that is we don't understand we don't understand the purpose of government. And we included in all of those things is we don't understand the purpose of work. And I think, you know, as as Christianity has gotten more and more away from its source, if you will, and we've gotten into this kind of follow your heart, Jesus is here to make you happy. Life is all about your own personal happiness and satisfaction and finding your own truth and living your own truth and being your authentic self. We've kind of come into this place where one, people are really lazy, but two people are just kind of lost, right? As they pursue all these different, um, you know, cliches that naturally lead people astray. They and they don't lead to anything good, right? They don't lead to truth, beauty, and goodness. They just lead to chaos and self-interest. And so I, I want to kind of start off with the New York Times article and um, the reel. I'm going to play the reel for you so you can listen to it yourself. And then I want to get into some of our views on this and how I think we really lied to young people and, and misdirected young people. And I thought today was a good day to release this on Labor Day um, because it is a day about work. And I want to touch on a few different things also with work. I want to talk about um, St. Joseph the worker. I want to talk about this idea that our identity oftentimes is too wrapped up in work. This is something I just experienced recently at a, uh, it was kind of like a men's gathering, if you will. And we kind of talked about masculinity over over beers. Um, and so I'm going to talk about a, a bunch of different things today that come from this and how I think we can get back on track when it comes to work. So first let's start with this reel. So I don't know where this, this is, I don't know what this like Instagram page is, but they're asking college students, what's your major and expected salary after graduating? Okay. That's the question at hand. And so let's go ahead and listen to, I think it's all women too. Spanish major, but I'm also deciding between a double major in either econ, um, linguistics, or psych, and I don't know my expected salary because I don't know what I'm going to do. My major is philosophy, and my expected salary is like nothing. It's just thinking. Sociology major with an English potential minor, and I don't know my expected salary because we haven't declared, but I think I looked it up, it's like 45000 I don't know. It's not looking good. <laughs> my major is history and film and an undeclared salary spirituality mind body healing my expected salary i really could not tell you honestly right now it's uh below poverty level okay so i'm a spanish major but all right so you hear in there now obviously i doubt they they selected the all-stars of this group right there are women out there there are college students out there who know how much money they're going to make they're making wise decisions based on that etc but there are a lot who don't and that leads to this article from the New York Times that says Gen Z can't afford the rent. Okay, and so just to read the caption a little bit of it, it says, there's something that many Gen Zers feel is not within their realm of possibility, owning a home. The rule of thumb is that your cost of housing shouldn't exceed 30% of your monthly income is becoming less realistic for many Gen Z, typically defined as people born between the late 90s and early 2010s. Homeownership feels unattainable. More than a third of Gen Z respondents in one survey said it was something they thought They'd never be able to achieve. Renting hasn't been an easy alternative either, with those in search of apartments facing bidding wars and high rent costs. The New York Times asked Gen Zers to share their story and estimate how much of their monthly income they typically spend on rent. And so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't have the full article, but I just have little quotes in here from them. So I really uh, this is a quote from the first woman says, I really can't afford to do anything else right now. And she is a 26-year-old graduate student in San Diego. She recently moved into her parents' home. The next one says, one night at a restaurant wipes out my spending for the week. 
I mean, one thing you could do is avoid doing that. Uh, she is a 25-year-old freelance theater director in Brooklyn. She shares an apartment with three roommates, including her partner. That's fun. Uh, the next one says, we're tripping all over each other a lot. We don't have any of our own space. This young man's name is Finn. He's a 27-year-old carpenter and emergency medical tech living on Peaks Island in Maine. He and his family recently moved into his parents' home. Then this next one says, we currently live it super condensed. Our apartment's literally like 20 by 20. It's tiny. This is Jess, who from the looks of it, is a man dressing as a woman, but you never you never know for sure these days. 25-year-old bartender in Summersville, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. And then this one says, I have to make every extra dollar I have last. 25-year-old Manny is a village trustee and nonprofit business manager in New York. Most of his salary goes towards rent. And then this other one, the last one here, is a 23-year-old former teaching fellow in San Francisco. In her first apartment, she lived in a one-bedroom with two roommates. Now, I think, yeah, I think I went in the proper order there. Maybe I should have gone in reverse. <laughs> but you can kind of see the point, right? Is these are the people, I think, oftentimes that are going to college. They're going to these private universities a lot of times, even some state schools, and they're racking up forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 of debt and then turning around and saying, I can't afford rent in San Francisco or New York City. And I think that's something we have to uh, evaluate, right? To say, okay, I'm looking up the average student loan debt right now. It says the average federal student loan debt is 37000 per borrower, basically 55000 per borrower. The average student borrows over 30000 to pursue a bachelor's degree. A total of 45.3 million borrowers have student loan debt. 92% of them have federal loan debt. Now you can see why do we keep giving out these bad loans um, if we you know, are saying that we have to pay them off and all these different things. It doesn't make much sense, right? And so let's look here at the median U.S. income. And so it says the national median household income is $70,000. And so that's household income. So that includes like married couples and things like that. Um, in another study, it said it was, this is the census says from 2017 to 2021, it was $69,000. Um, so you can see there, if you're thinking about that, that doesn't make a ton of sense, right? If you are spending and racking up debt north of $55,000, then you're going to come out and make 35 to $40,000. That's not a great trade-off. And this is how we have to start teaching people because in that reel that we listen to, that's that's follow your heart to a T. That's follow your heart lived out, right? Most of these kids are not believers anymore. If they ever even were, they're, you know, 40% of them or 30 to 40% of them are on um, the in the LGBTQ community in some capacity. 60% of them to 70% of them probably are on some type of mental health medicine. And and then they rack up all this debt and they're they're literally in college getting degrees and going somewhere between typically thirty-seven to fifty-five thousand dollars in debt to get a job that they don't even know what it pays. 
And this is where we've started to mix it up. And this is something I think feminism has especially done is we've, we've gotten to this point where we believe that your work has to be the most fulfilling aspect of your life. And I, I blame feminism for that because I think that feminism really brought that about. I think that men to a certain degree, obviously throughout all of time, probably were consumed by their work a lot of times. Back in the day, I think it was just because they had to work so much. There was very long days, typically working six or seven days a week. If you're thinking about like farming and coal mining and working in factories and difficult work like that. But your average man wasn't, I don't think the coal miners and, and soldiers and things like that, like, yes, that's part of your identity. But I still think that most men throughout history mainly identified with their, their country. They identified obviously with their families. They identified as a husband, as a father. And for most of human history, they identified with their religion. And so their identity was still more spread out as where I think women, have, you know, feminism has told women that like, no, the primary thing you can do is go out and earn a lot of money and go out there and be a man. And I think women are less good at being men than men are. And so I think while men were able to be very focused on one thing at a time. And so when I'm at work, I'm fully invested at work. And then I go home and I'm able to be fully invested at home. Women are better multitaskers, but they're also really bad at focusing on one thing at a time. And they're not good at compartmentalizing. Statistically, generally speaking, this is true. Men are worse at multitasking, but good at compartmentalizing things. And women are the opposite. And I think we started to see this shift where it was like, for women, it's like, no, career, make your career your number one thing. I'm waiting to settle down. We hear this all the time, right? You're waiting to settle down until you're super established in all these different ways. And we started to make work this this primary thing, but kind of in a, in a really stupid way, in my opinion. Like, what is the point of half the majors that you just heard? Somebody going and becoming a philosophy major, saying that she's going to make zero dollars because she's just majoring in thinking. And not just majoring in thinking in good ways. If you're getting a public school's philosophy degree, like, you're becoming dumber. They're teaching you things that are false, right? They're basically training you to be an atheist. And you're just going to live an empty life and teach other people to be atheists. I mean, that's like the, the worst type of living. To be in debt, to go and be a teacher, to teach other people, to be an, an evangelist for atheism and bad ideas, generally speaking. Because they're not studying Augustine. They're not studying Thomas Aquinas. You know, they're, they're studying Nietzsche and some of the worst philosophy of all time. So it's, it's really confusing to me, this shift that we've had. Where we kind of went, I think, in the direction where for a while there, like in the late 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was like people, both men and women, were really focused on work and, and achieving as much as they could. To now we've gotten to so much follow your heart and we should be just given so many things and so many entitlements and, and just this entitled mindset that now it's like you can just go and do whatever you want and you just assume that things are going to work out for you. So that's kind of the societal level. But I've also seen this a lot in the church in certain ways where a lot of people in the church come from decent money. I think, I think that's a, a fairly common thing, especially if you're talking about, uh, you know, Benedictine, Franciscan, Ave. It's not everyone. Some people are going there on scholarships and things like that. But a fair amount of the Catholics that I know that are into their faith are not coming from poor backgrounds, right? And I think that are involved in things like this, that that consume Catholic media, that are, you know, attending conferences and things like that. I think that, a fair amount of them are that way. And then they have this kind of assumption that things are just going to work out financially. And the truth is that it does that's not how it works, right? If you come from money, yes, maybe you'll be given money by your parents for the rest of your life. 
but there's an aspect of understanding that, hey, if we're going to have, you know how all of these Catholic nonprofits that we all rush to go work for take major gifts from Catholics who donate to them? Donate 500,000, a million, five, $10 million gifts. If that's going to happen in 40 years, who's going to do it? It's going to be us. We're the generation that's going to do that, which is why we can't all just go off and fundraise. We can't all be DREs. We can't have every practicing Catholic working in the Catholic bubble making $50,000 a year if we're going to see the church continue to do what we're doing now and to have major donors and all that, all the, all that type of stuff. And so we have to, to shift our mind and shift our perspective in the way that we view uh, college, first and foremost, especially if you're young. I'm a big proponent of you don't need to rush off to go to college right away. What's the point? Why, why, if you're not ready, if you don't truly know, if you have no idea what you want to do, why not start just taking some general classes at a, at a community college? I don't understand why that's so frowned upon. This idea, it's almost this Catholic idea. There's like a Catholic version of the secular idea that you have to go and have the college experience. And in the secular world, obviously, we know that's going and getting drunk and high and hooking up with as many people as you can, going to football games, sporting events joining a sorority or fraternity, whatever, you know, all those kinds of things. Being an idiot for four years is the secular version of it. And the Catholic version of it is is kind of this assumption that you have to go to one of these Catholic colleges and receive four more years of formation because you're just not ready at 18 to be an adult. And I, I one, one of my, you know, this is a few levels down of my subtasks or my sub messages I hope to promote within the world. You know, I just had an experience last night with a, with a 19 year old, guy and i thought he he did something that was rude i called it out and people just I, I heard several people defended it as well he's only 19 i'm like i had soldiers in afghanistan that were 19 years old what the hell is this this idea that 19 year olds now are 13 i don't i don't get this concept that when you turn 18 and you're an adult like that's kind of just something we say like there's really no expectations we have as a society whether that's in the secular world or in the church of any type of actual maturity after the age of 16 until you're like 24. And I don't, I don't get where that comes from. And I think we need to change that. We need to expect that people who, you know, accept loans at 18 for $50,000 or $100,000, they're responsible for paying those back. And we should be coaching and encouraging and forming our 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds to be able to recognize predatory lending. To be able to recognize like, hey, if I'm going to college now and I'm racking up debt, I probably should think about the ROI on that debt. College has to start to be looked at as an investment. What is the outcome that I'm going to achieve here? We have to start becoming outcome focused, not just process focused, not just this next year, not just, oh, this is what all my friends are going to do. So I'm going to go do it as well. We have to be intentional with the way we live, with the way we spend our money, with the contracts that we sign, with the things that we agree to. That's that's good stuff to teach people, and I don't understand why so many people have this low mindset. And I think it I think it's one of the many things in our generation that we're just really swinging the pendulum back in the direction of the other extreme, right? Because you think about like eleven year olds in in the Great Depression like had jobs, right? And like you had kids that were working, and kids at fourteen, fifteen years old who were taking care of their younger siblings when a parent would die or something like that. Like they were taking care of their families, and and you had. 15 year old girls who were basically a mom of three or four kids making dinner and cleaning the house and making sure everything was running smoothly, helping the kids with their homework. 
And now for some reason, we're just like, okay with having like 22 year old children, 22 year olds who like need their mom to take them to the dentist and need, uh, reminded of how to, to, you know, to do their homework and, and reminded of every single thing. And these helicopter parents that have these kids that just aren't ready. And I've, I've been blessed since being out here in Denver to meet a lot of kids who were 14, 15 years old and very mature. And to me, it's like, that's the outcome. That's what I want for Jordan and for all of our other children. If God blesses us with more to say, okay, um, brother, when, when you're 15 years old, when you're 16, like, let's start getting your ish together. Because you're two years away from adulthood. I don't know, like, should we advocate for pushing the adulthood age up to, you know, the legal adult age up to 21? Because I think we either have to start expecting that people at 18 are adults or change the legal age of adulthood. I don't get how we can do both at the same time. Say that you're an adult at 18 and you can do, you know, things like own a gun or join the military, smoke cigarettes and whatever else. You're responsible for yourself. Serve life in prison. But at the same time, like you're you're not actually supposed to be held responsible for anything that you do. I think it's so backwards. But I think we just keep lying to these kids in high school, just being like, this this goes back to even my my uh, podcast from last Monday. If you listen to it, the whole Harvard or Heaven concept, and we have this thing about and this thing with parents of just being obsessed of where our kids go to school and what they end up doing and their title. And there's such a balance to strike with that, right? Because there is pride if your kid goes and becomes a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, something profound like that. It's impressive and it's great. And you should be proud of that. And no, it doesn't mean that we have to, every time a kid goes into ministry, bash them or uh, criticize them or criticize that decision. But there's a balance to strike. There's a balance to strike that says, okay, I'm a young man going to college. Maybe I can get my engineer degree and still go to do two years as a missionary. But then I come back and I have something to actually go do for work. I'm not limited by the degree that I got in theology or youth ministry to be a youth minister for the rest of my life. So that I can be 30 years old and wanting to be engaged, but not being able to afford a ring or a house or knowing that I can't provide for a family. Maybe we can start to strike that balance where we encourage young men that, hey, you can get a theology degree. You can major in philosophy, but you got a double major. That's that's what we should be suggesting and encouraging people to go do if that is what they're called to do. Now, this the same thing goes for women. If you feel like you're called, I did a podcast a few weeks ago on stay-at-home dads and the importance of mothers and how the ideal is for the mother to be at home. I think that's been reiterated throughout church history. That could be working from home. That could be working part-time from home. Um, it could be not working at all and being at home. But the idea that the ideal for a Catholic family is for mom to get up and leave and go to work every every day of the week, I think is silly. I don't I don't think there's any support for that anywhere. And I think that we learn in psychology and sociology and study of families over the last couple of decades, several decades, half a century, that it's not good, that this change is not good for the families and for the outcomes of of children. But Maybe that means that, yes, if I'm a Catholic woman and I think that I'm going to go get married, maybe I don't rack up 70K of debt for a degree that's not worth anything. Just for the experience. Guys, this is, this is the thing that nobody tells you, is that you can, you can experience great formation outside of a Catholic university. And this isn't the thing to rail against Catholic universities. I'm just saying that, like, the, the, the Catholic version of this, I mean, debunk the, the, the secular version of it. 
to think that you're going to go have the best four years of your life getting drunk, having sex and, and getting high and going to football games and being in a sorority or fraternity is just, I mean, that's plainly stupid. Hopefully that's, there's no anybody on here that thinks that that's actually a good idea. And you actually believe that we should promote that and encourage young people to go do these things. That is just like dumb on its face, as they say. So I'm not going to go super deep into debunking that. But the Catholic version of it, even if you have the money to go do it, I'm like, we spend so much money. The amount of money that us young Catholics spend on high schools a lot of times, universities, and then weddings. And then we find ourselves, oh, I can't afford college, or I can't afford to buy a house. I can't afford this. can't afford to start a business. And it's like, well, yeah, well, we just wasted a hundred. It doesn't make any sense. I just don't, I don't get it. And we have to start reconsidering these things and, and being more mindful of, okay, you can get theology certificates, you can get theology, whatever, in, in a lot of different capacities. And you don't have to have full-blown theology degrees. I know sometimes I have friends that challenge me and say, hey, if you're going to be podcasting, Catholic speaking, you should get a theology degree. And I say, why don't I just limit my talks and my topics to things that are within my realm of understanding? And why can't I just podcast and a lot of it be opinion and encouragement or um, topics that I've researched and studied? But I'm not I'm not up here teaching. I'm not giving an hour long podcast on on church history, on the theology of the church fathers, on Augustine. So I'm like, I'll I'll get to it eventually. I think I'd like to start with some of the lower things. We have like biblical school here in Denver. There's catechetical school that you can do, which is like once a week for several years. And it's like a few thousand dollars or something like that. But it's like I'm not sinking 30 grand into a degree I'm not going to use a degree that's not going to make me more money. I, I just, I can't, I can't fathom it as a husband and father. And so what I'm trying to encourage young men to do is say, if you're a future husband and father, also don't do that. You should go get degrees that are going to help you to make more money. And, and I think we just have this detachment with, because we, we think that that's bad. Like we, we've just so, and this is my whole theme, right? On the morality of capitalism into the honest review of nonprofits. We have this view that profit and earning money is bad. And so we don't want to say, oh, I should go get a college degree so that it makes me more money. But I think we have to start viewing it as an investment. And if we don't do that, then this is what this is what the outcomes, these are the outcomes that we create. Because we, we want to be too nice about it and say, no, you should do something that interests you. And I had this thought for a while and I'm still kind of torn on it because I think that what's more important than your degree I still hold this, that what's more important than your degree when you're in college is who you become. I think that college is the best place. It's the best four years of your life for a specific thing, and that's for building yourself. Not for finding yourself. There's a certain aspect of figuring out who you are, what you like, what makes you tick, what inspires you, what motivates you, what pisses you off, what frustrates you, all of that stuff. College is the best time to develop and figure out who you want to become, who God's calling you to be, how you can become that person, and to start trying to live that out. That's what I do believe college is the best for, because you have more free time than you're ever going to have in the rest of your life. You have more resources. You have time to read and study and to dive deep into some of these topics. And yes, that takes extra work. Yes, your workload is hard. But if you spend an hour a week doing that, two hours a week, if you include your prayer time, reading, etc., it changes your whole life. So I do think that's slightly more important, but I think underneath that, we have to start to think about how we're doing these degrees. You know, 
I think we have to start to think about what's the trajectory of my life and how is this going to help me? And I'm blessed that God opened my eyes to that to a certain degree when I was in school. And I feel like God showed me ROTC and was like, oh, you can have a scholarship. And I'm like, and this is, dude, I'm not like business minded. I was not raised to be financially aware at all. Um, I didn't understand anything about investing, budgeting, none of that. But I just said, hey, to not owe whatever it would have been, $30,000 when I graduate from college, that sounds like a good idea. Wait, you're going to pay me whatever it was. The army was paying 30, 35 grand a year. And then I got free room and board because of my own scholarships at the school. Like you're going to pay that every year for four years in the army so I can go be a badass? Yes. I'm in. And I also thought, well, and I think that a lot of times army officers do pretty well after that. I can stay in and retire, which is not a bad financial move because I'll be retired. You know, I'd have been 41, 42 when I got out and made half my salary for the rest of my life. I'm like, or I can get out and I'll, you know, have been an army officer. And that makes you pretty horrible from my understanding. And so that kind of became my plan and my trajectory. And while I was there, I racked up as much as I could for my resume. I also think not enough kids are doing resume building while they're in school. They're in there just to screw around. And all your hobbies are useless and pointless and stupid. And it's like, let's start to build some of these skills. Because it's so sad to me when I start to see it, when kids come and they ask me about applying at the company I work for now, I've seen it in the past, and they'll come and be like, oh, I want to apply. And I'm like, what's your, like, what have you been doing? What's your experience? And they haven't done much. And it's like, you have to start to build up this experience. You have to prove to people on paper before they even meet you, right? Like, I'm a really good interviewer. And I have to be able to get the interview. And my resume does that. My resume, my application when I apply somewhere is what gets you the interview. And then you can crush the interview. But even if you're super charismatic and good at interviewing, you have to be good on paper in order to get the interview. And so we're not, we're not designing that, right? This is, this is just the lack of intentionality in life. You're going into college. You're like, what do I feel like? What am I most interested in? And there's, there's a, a, I love the, the idea that your vocation should lie at the intersection of the needs of the world. What, what you're good at and what you're passionate about. That's definitely the sweet spot. But is there also something beautiful to like a, a young man who doesn't know what he wants to do going and learning the trade of being an electrician? You know, he might not be super passionate about it, but maybe he just enjoys it enough and he makes a good living for his family. You can make six figures that way. Instead of going and becoming a philosophy major or having a theology degree in youth ministry that now you can go and make $35,000 a year and you can't support a family. I don't, I think we got to stop promoting that. Like that's the the higher path just because you know slightly more about theology. The other thing that's a lie too is that I remember I applied for youth ministry jobs when I was getting out of the army because I applied to a hundred different jobs doing a hundred different things, 50 different things. But I applied to these youth ministry jobs. I'll never forget having this interview with this one in Maryland. I actually did. I lined up to do two interviews in the same day and one parish I was actually really interested in. They were really awesome. And this other lady, she was not as awesome. She was a DRE and she was, basically pressing me to say like, well, you don't have a degree in theology. She was like, she was the problem, right? Like, like what I'm talking about, like she was the drama. And she's like, well, you don't have a theology degree. How are you going to be able to teach the kids the faith? How are you going to be able to answer their questions, et cetera? And she had, she was just wrapping up, I want to say her, her master's in theology at Christendom. 
And I was like, lady, I would go toe to toe with anybody because I'm 26-ish at the time. I'm like, I would go toe to toe with any theology major who has been four years out of college. Because this is the other thing we forget about is that the things you study and you love and you, you learn about, you don't remember much of it four years later, 10 years down the road, right? Most of us can't remember the things we learned in school. So it's, it's got to be a life of continuous ongoing education anyways. And so you can consume a ton of good media, podcasts, books, uh, movies, documentaries, where you can learn about these things that you're passionate about, but you can still have your job. You can have, they don't have to be the same thing, right? They don't have to be the exact same thing to say, okay, this is what I'm most passionate about. And this is what I'm going to make a million dollars doing. I'm going to make good money doing that doesn't have to be a million dollars, but a decent income for you and your family. So you can start to separate the two where I can have my hobbies outside of work. I can still podcast. I found a job that pays me well, where I can earn a good living that I most, I mean, I enjoy, I love the company I work for, but I don't love, uh, I wouldn't say that I like obsessed. I'm not one of these guys that's like in love with doing sales, but I'm like, it's a good skill to learn. I have great experience. I'll have worked at a startup and, and built a sales team, you know, not, not, I'm not the head of the sales team, but I was the first one. And so I got to see it grow and expand. And that's a great, if, if I ever were to leave, it's a great resume builder and, and resume bullet. And I got to experience other things that have just, you know, advanced, that's just going just gonna to help me advance my career. And so I still have time to podcast on Friday afternoons. Like I am, I still have time to podcast on Thursdays when I do my live streams, to do my social media stuff, to do all the things that I and passionate about to play basketball, to spend time with my family, etc. And so you can find things that help you and allow you to do both. Your work can fuel your hobbies, but your hobbies don't have to be your profession. You can, if you're passionate about youth ministry, be a youth minister volunteer at your parish. Get involved in volunteering with the youth in some capacity. It doesn't have to be your career. You know, some people are called to it. God calls people to this stuff. But I think we have to really start to evaluate this so we can understand and and more again, going back to the same theme thing from the the honest review podcast about nonprofits. I just want people to be able to soberly evaluate and discern their options. That's really what all this is about. And so this is about saying, okay, understand the trade-offs. Understand, try to close your eyes and imagine what you're gonna feel like with forty thousand dollars. You graduate and your net worth at 22 is negative 40,000. That's not fun to me. That doesn't sound fun to me. And I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a reason why so many of those same people who can't afford rent, who have useless degrees, doing work that they're theoretically passionate about, um, are on medication for depression and anxiety. It's not a good way to go about your life. And so we have to start reevaluating these things. Now, the other thing I want to talk about here when it comes to work and identity I was with this group of men a week ago or so, and I thought this was really funny because we got we went around the room and introduced ourselves, and we got criticized for the way that we introduced ourselves because they were like, see how all of us guys, we all said our name and what we do for work, and then we moved on. And I thought it was really funny because we talked about how like we all just reiterated what the guy before us said. But the thing that was really funny about it was I went first. And <laughs> that was funny to me because 
I didn't just say what I do for work. I did say what I do for work, but it wasn't the only thing I said. I said, hi, I'm Nathan Crankfield. I sound from Pennsylvania. I um, am a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, I, I was in the army for a few years, worked in a couple different places since then. Now, uh, you know, work for Hallow, the Catholic prayer app. And then I said, and I'm married to my wife, Emily, who's in the house. So it was like a men's and women's split up thing. And I said, I'm married to my wife, Emily, and we have a son named Jordan. Then I passes the next guy. And he said, you know, whatever. Hi, I'm Bill. And I work for whatchamacallit, you know, I do X, Y, or Z and that's it. And then pass it to the next person. Like that's where, that's where it began. I'm like, but to be fair, I started and I didn't just say I'm Nathan and I work for Hallow. But I also don't think that's as bad as we make it to seem. Because the other thing that's important to know about this group, when we were on the circle with 15 guys or whatever was there is I was the only married one. I was the only father. And so, yes, that was part of it. Now I did mention that I, was Catholic, which I think is good to say, even if you're in a room full of Catholics, because you just never know. And it's just, you know, something that's worthwhile or worth knowing. But I think that it's, it's interesting that there was nothing else for them to share, but I don't think that sharing your work is a bad thing itself. And I think a lot of times, I think we misconstrue this idea of identity. That like our identity is like, it's too wrapped up in work just because we, we say that when we meet people. Part of that, I think when you meet somebody, you say, Oh, what do you do? Like, you spend 40 to 50 hours a week. I mean, there's nothing you spend more time doing other than sleeping and at work, maybe spending time with your family. But if you're not married, then what do you spend more time doing than working? And so it's kind of just a natural, like, I get like, oh, some Europeans, like they don't talk that way or other cultures. Like, well, we do. And I don't think it's an inherently bad thing. This is what you spend the majority of your time doing. So we're going to, I just want to know what you spend most of your time doing. And then it's fun to know what you spend your off time doing, because that's like your second biggest chunk or your third biggest chunk. But the other thing about this is, I think it's a very Protestant thing to be like anti-work in a sense. To me, I think some of the most Catholic approaches of work, even though some people in, in this realm can be obsessive about it, is the people who do find passion in their work, they see the goodness of it and they enjoy it. Because no matter what you're doing for work, even if it's not something you're extremely passionate about, you can get passionate about being excellent at your job, right? So I can get passionate about my goals that I have for sales, even though I'm more passionate about growing my podcast and making sure my podcast is good and, and recording podcasts and doing speaking engagements and social media stuff. That's more exciting to me and I'm more passionate about it, but I'm still passionate about hitting my sales goals so passionate about learning more about the craft of selling and all of that, right? So you can have this balance of it's not it doesn't consume me, but you should be passionate about being excellent at your job, excellent at your job. And so if you are, it's it's something that's good to talk about. And so there's a lot of talk, you know, people out there you think about like the Gary Vees of the world, right? Where they're like too obsessive with work, but there is something beautiful that they think work is a good thing. And I think Catholics believe that as well. And you can you can learn that from um, you know uh, what's it called um, Opus Dei, you know the the motto of of prayer and work. We learn that from uh, the dignity of work from Saint John Paul II, and we also learn it from the feast day that we have on May first, which is the feast of Saint Joseph the Worker. And so there's lots of Catholic teachings and and works out there 
that talk about the goodness of work, right? And so I want to read this little quote here from, um, I use a magisterium AI. It brings up like different Catholic teaching on, on certain things. And so I asked it about the Catholic view on work. And it says, the Catholic church views work as more than just a means of making a living. It is seen as a vocation and a participation in God's creative activity. Through work, humans govern the world with God and accomplish good things for themselves and others. It is considered a duty. And idleness is seen as harmful to a person's being, while activity is good for the body and soul. Work is also seen as a way to honor the gifts and talents received from God and can be redemptive when endured in union with Jesus. So I think that's really important. There's one line that I really love there, which is that work is considered a duty. We have a duty to work, and so we ought to go about it joyfully, right? We should fulfill our, our duties that God gives us with joy. And then idleness is seen as harmful to a person's being. And so we're not meant to be idle. And this is where you start to see like the, the negatives of things like welfare and subsidizing unemployment for long periods of time. And we, we see that as, as taking away the dignity of the person. And you're basically paying them to remain idle, to remain stagnant and to not grow, which is not good because work is more than just making a living. It's participating in God's creative activity. And so it helps us to govern the world and we learn to govern ourselves as we pursue excellence in our work. And so I think that you think about this, we, we think of what, what do people know? If you ask random people, what do you know about Jesus? Or especially what do you know about Joseph? Random Christians, not even just Catholics. Most of them would say he was married to Mary. He was Jesus's foster father and he was a carpenter. Like we know what he did for work. That's how important it was. And we talk about this a lot. You see it in scripture. You see it in just like the study of history, where when we talk about a historical figure, we talk about what they did. We talk about their career, right? What do you know about Abraham Lincoln? You know that he was a lawyer beforehand. What do you know? You know, like you can go down the line of people and famous people and historical figures, and you know what they did for work. So there's nothing wrong, especially with men, of taking serious pride in your career in the work that you've done, in the things that you've accomplished, not to the point of arrogance, not to the point of looking down on other people, but it's okay to be proud of what you've done. It's okay to be proud of your resume. doesn't mean that you should wrap your entire identity up in it, but there's, there's goodness in wrapping your identity that you have securely placed in God and in your relationship as a beloved son of God to see that through the lens of, oh, I'm accomplishing that and I'm living that out beautifully as I pursue excellence in the workplace, because work is how I participate in God's creative activity, I fulfill my duties as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a single person, as a woman, whatever it is, depending on your, sta your stage in life. It's, it's how I honor the gifts and talents I've received from God, fulfill my duties, and I uh, endure it in union with Jesus. To, to quote this, this paragraph again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful and good thing. So I don't think we have to have this, like sometimes I think men's groups and stuff like because the faith has been so watered down, it's been so feminized, we have this like feminine approach to thinking that's bad. And if you're in a group of women, especially married women, and they all went around and they were like, oh, I, you know, my name's Emily and I do this for work. That would be, that would be problematic. I think that would be strange. Right. But you know, if you're a group of single women, I think it makes more sense. I think it makes more sense. And women are more likely to be like, oh, I'm from here. 
I do this. I was invited here by this person or whatever, because they're just more relational and focused on other things. But I don't think we have to get so feminine as men, as, as groups of men. I want to know what every guy in Uncircle does for work. So I'm glad that they say it. And I don't think I have to be ashamed of that. I don't think that there's a, a worldliness in that because the church sanctifies work. The church has, has blessed work and said that work is a good thing. And so we have to understand that and believe that and live that out in our day-to-day lives. And I think that by doing so, we can start to shift the way that we see work. We can shift the way that other young people see work um, and encourage our generations that we're going to raise to reevaluate things and to look at college and education and their careers with a business mindset. It's about making money, all of its business. Schools are a business. Um, universities are a business, right? The work that you're going to go do, these are free exchanges of your time for money, uh, unless you're a fundraising missionary, in which case you fundraise your own money and then work on a goodwill of other people, uh, well, your own goodwill, I guess, for other people. That's different. But if you're not that, then you are exchanging in an agreement with an employer. I'm going to sell you my time, my effort, my energy, my intellect, for certain hours, for certain conditions, for this amount of pay. And now I'm going to use that money to provide for my family. And that's just what a fair exchange is. And that's how business works. And so that's what all of it is. When you're going to negotiations, you're, you're basically trying out, you're negotiating from the time you submit your resume, trying to negotiate to get the spot to negotiate your salary. But the best way to get to that point where you have some strength in negotiation, where you're appealing, where you have options, is to build yourself, first and foremost, in your formative years from 14 to 22, is to build your resume and what you're able to do. It means you don't just F off every summer. It means you don't just, you, you shouldn't, in my opinion, if you're a man, go and do totus tubus for three summers while you're in college, right? Do some, um, you, you should be uh, spending time in internships and, and seeking out different jobs and different roles that you can do and doing some things that are unpleasant, right? So you can learn. I remember working and loading boxes for FedEx after my freshman year of college. It was so hot and so miserable, but I learned a lot. learned a lot about hard work. I was pretty bad at it. Um, I hated it, but it was hard. The next summer I went to airborne school and did um, some other army stuff. So I was gone for about two months. The next summer I was gone for about two months for army training. Then the next summer it was, it was on and I was hitting the ground running in the army. And so I learned a lot through that hard work, through building myself, through the challenges of that. And so that's why um, I have stories and things to share that are impressive and good in interviews. And so I want other people to be able to have that experience. I want to encourage you to, even if you're, even if you feel late, even if you're 30, even if you're 25, whatever, and you feel you're 40 and you feel like, man, I've wasted a lot of time, get creative and spend some time thinking about your life. Start to design and think about the ways that you can put your life back on a better track or on a different trajectory that's going to lead to the outcomes that you want, that God's calling you towards. That's something that I think is very, very important. We just don't take the time to stop and think. It's always like, oh, I'm going to go back to school. A lot of soldiers do that. They get out of the army. Oh, I'm going to go back to school. And it's like, for what? And you're just buying time. A lot of people are just going to get master's degrees. They're just buying time. What is the point of that? Sometimes it makes sense, but there's a lot of times where it doesn't. And so you have to start to think through things logically, talking them out, listing out your different options, and um, making the best decision for you based on the outcomes that you want in life. So another thing I I think I want to share. So this is kind of a more practical thing when it comes to 
uh, deciding where you're going to work. So when you're thinking about your vocation, right? I always say that there's, when I was getting out of the army and anytime I've kind of been looking for jobs, I, I use kind of four general categories. One is your pay. The second one is your job satisfaction. The third one is your time. So control of your time. If you're going to be working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, if you're going to be working 30 hours a week. And then the fourth one is location. Now, I think location is, is somewhat, you know, it's optional on the list because it's like for some of you, you're just looking for jobs in a specific area. Maybe you know where you want to work. But I think this is a good discernment tool for a lot of things. And I think what it does is it helps you to understand the concept of trade-offs better. So that's why I want to explain it. And I want to use it today. So location, again, you can use it if you want to. For me, it mattered because I was getting out of the army and I could have gone anywhere in the world. But I knew that there was kind of like, well, I want to be able to drive home ideally. And um, I still like the East Coast. I kind of was looking at places like Charleston or, you know, fun places that, to live because I could just kind of do whatever I wanted. But my, my idea of it and the mindset around it is this. My goal was to find a job that had an average between an eight and a nine. Because the reality is most of the time that if you pursue a 10 in one category, you're going to have like a two or a three in another, right? So if I want a 10 in my salary, then I'm going to be probably looking at like a somewhere between a two and a four on controlling my time because I'm going to work a lot. If I want a 10 on my time, I'm probably going to be looking at a much lower salary. If I want to have high job satisfaction, it doesn't have to be low on time or salary, but it might affect it a little bit, right? So if I have a 10 in job satisfaction, think about it, right? What would be my, my only 10 in job satisfaction right now would be if I was a full-time content creator. If I was just podcasting, writing, doing all that kind of stuff, and I wouldn't make any money right now doing it. There could be the point at some point in my life if things went well where I could be paid a good amount of money to do that. I could be having flexible with my time because I'd be my own boss basically. And I'd be very fulfilled in my work. I can work for whatever I wanted, but that's probably not going to happen for 20 years. Right. And so it's not something you get just out of the gate. And so I think this is especially applicable to when you're young because when you're 50, 60, like, yes, you can make good money that you have flexible time and you're satisfied in your job. But typically in your twenties, there's trade-offs, Right. And so you have to start to think. And so for me, this is kind of the seeking excellence mindset, right? It's like, I want to average between an eight and a nine. And so when I was thinking about it, I was, you know, just, I would make a list of, um, I would make a list of the different jobs that I had and I would rate them from one to 10. And that's where you start to see it and you start to get the, the flexibility. So like with one of the youth ministry jobs I would have had, I think I would have had pretty easy time commitment, but I would only made, you know, two thirds of what I was going to make as a parish consultant, dynamic Catholic, dynamic Catholic was better, but I was also six hours further from home than had I taken the youth ministry job. And so you see how it starts to kind of balance out. And these are where you can start to evaluate the trade-offs of making a decision. And so this could be the same thing for college. Maybe I'm going to college. Okay. This degree might help me more in the long run, but it's going to cost more money. It's further away from home, whatever. But you can start to see how, when you're making these decisions of evaluating jobs, evaluating degrees, evaluating universities, colleges, high schools for your kids, whatever it might be, you can start to evaluate and say, okay, let me be honest and realistic. And you have to be objective. You can't just be like, oh, this is my favorite one. I'm going to give it all 10s, but really try to be honest and objective and then vote on which one has the highest score. It doesn't mean you have to take that one, 
but at least you're going into it with the knowledge of what's the, what are the pros and cons? Because it helps you then on the backside to not be complaining about the cons. If I take the higher paying job and I'm lower on my time, especially in the context of marriage, it's like, okay, well, we knew that that was going to happen, right? This we, we have this sometimes in our own lives, right? Where it's like, oh, you have to travel again? It's like, yes, I do have to travel again, but I make money when I travel, whether that's with speaking or whether that's with, um, you know, doing sales. Like this is going to, this is an investment of time into hopefully making more money in the future. And that's what it takes to have a single um, parent income or mostly single parent income living on a single income in Denver is we got to make some sacrifices. This is kind of the trade-off, right? If we lived in Kansas or we lived in uh, Ohio or, you know, or Kentucky or something like that, then yeah, I could probably pass up some of these speaking engagements or these other things um, that would pay and make some extra money. But we don't. We live here in Denver and we have our beautiful parish. We have our beautiful community. We have our wonderful friends and we love it. But what's the trade-offs? So I got to hustle a little bit, right? I got to stay a little bit later at the office. I got to put in a little bit more work. I got to try to, you know, continue to podcast to get, try to get different speaking engagements and things like that, right? And so all of those things are kind of tied together. So you can start to see how in your life you're going to have those trade-offs. So we got to stop lying to these kids, telling them, hey, follow your heart, go do the things that make you happy. And then, oh, you're going to make $30,000 a year though and not be able to afford rent. And Oh, and and try to live in the most expensive cities in America. Live in New York City, live in DC, live in um, Seattle, live in San Francisco. It doesn't make a ton of sense to say, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you to go follow your heart, go rack up a bunch of debt, go become a jackass in college and not know if you're a man or a woman and dye your hair blue and get three face piercings, tattoos on your hands have a useless degree, move to San Francisco, and then complain you can't afford your rent. Seems like you kind of went down that path. And it's just sad that, I don't know, you either didn't look at the outcome you were headed towards or somebody like kept a veil over your eyes and just babied you. And so you never got to see it. We got to remove the veil. We got to start treating our young people like they're adults, like they're mature human beings who can make decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. And then we have to trust them to make good decisions and allow them to experience some of the failure and the pain that comes along with that failure. And so those are my thoughts. Pray for people who are making decisions. I hope this was helpful, especially the framework on making decisions for your life. If you think all this is helpful, I encourage you to share this podcast with somebody else, especially this is a great one. Please share it with high schoolers, with college kids. Let's start trying to change the direction of some of these young people who are making bad decisions in their lives Um, and not bad decisions in a judgmental way, because we don't know if it's a bad decision. We don't know what their outcome is. We don't know what they want, but I want them to at least know their options that, hey, if you're a man and you're trying to live somewhere that's somewhat expensive, whether that's Philly or Denver or Austin, whatever it might be, and you want to be a youth minister, maybe have a backup plan so that you can go do something else and make some money because that way they can have an understanding and a fuller picture. All right. So, hey, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed it, like I said, share it. Leave us a review. Only if it's five stars, though. I don't need any more haters. Um, leave a one-star reviews. And then... Join us on local, seekingexcellence.locals.com, where you can become a supporter. You can ex- get uh, access to exclusive content, and um, you can help us to, to spread this message far and wide. All right. Continue to fight hard to be your best, and God bless you.